Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss career counselling, career guidance, mental health awareness and mental health training in the workplace. With your hosts, Patrick, Sally, Tina and Amy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations with CDC. Very happy today to be joined by uh, Mitch McPherson from Stay Chatty. Thanks for joining us, Mitch. Great to be here. Thank you. So let's get started. Tell us a little bit about Stay Chatty. Uh, Yeah, well, it's been a whirlwind four and a half years since I created Stay Chatty, and there's certainly a lot to tell. So pull me up if I go on too much about telling you the story. But um, basically, Stay Chatty uh, was founded by myself uh, four and a bit years ago after uh, losing my little brother Ty to suicide. And uh, I was 25 years of age. Uh, I was a glazier by trade. I was working as a glazier and uh, my little brother was had just turned 18 and he was you know, my best friend, the last person we ever imagined that was going through a difficult time or struggling because you know he was popular, he loved sport, he was about to start a building apprenticeship, learning to drive. Uh, the last person in our world that we ever imagined was going through a difficult time and uh, losing him uh, obviously opened up our eyes to mental health sadly too late but you know, for, for so long after losing Ty, all we could see were the happy things that were going on in his life and people were asking us, did you see he was struggling? Did you know he was going through a difficult time? And for a long time, we answered no, that, you know, we only saw the happy things. We have no idea how this happened. But uh, what we soon learned was that we were incredibly ignorant to mental health and that we just had no knowledge on it. We didn't know anyone that had, uh, anyone close to us in particular that had been touched by suicide or deep mental health or real mental health issues. So, Sadly for us, there was that next phase of grief where we were realising that there were a lot of signs that he, was, um, that he wasn't okay and that he was changing and he had changed and that we could have intervened and just asked that simple question, are you okay? So I obviously started to become really passionate about um, wanting people to hear our and my story in particular, you know, that I was a, you know, a tradie, quite a selfish young guy that focused on me and uh, and didn't worry about the things in life and in particular my little brother I you know I loved him I spent a lot of time with him but I, I feel that I failed him in that last few weeks because I didn't ask him are you okay and I didn't let him know that he could cry to me if he needed to cry and uh, I felt that opening up and sharing that through my social media was a way uh, for others to see and learn from that if you like and you know it snowballed from there I got a car bumper sticker Speak Up, Stay Chatty to pay tribute to Ty. Uh, got some wristbands, Facebook page, and uh, my public speaking took off and uh, it grew from there. Uh, and now four and a half years on, I've been full, full-time full four years, a uh, team of four, and uh, and we're certainly, we feel making a difference to that stigma uh, that surrounds mental health here in Tasmania. What a moving story. That, that, that uh, It sounds to me as if you're carrying some guilt for the for the the death of your brother and and wishing that you knew the, the things that you know now. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that that's a natural emotion and feeling that anyone feels when you you're touched by suicide. And I've certainly, sadly, met a lot of people over the years that are in my shoes and they feel the same emotion and the and the same um, feelings. But uh, you know, a lot of my story is I touch on the last couple of weeks where, you know, Ty didn't join us to dinner uh, when he loved dinner. He always loved sitting and having a meal with us. Um, he was in his room, but not one of us went in and asked, are you okay? Uh, I caught him walking home when he would usually always offer a lift, uh, but on this occasion he declined. And even to the last night I saw him when he said goodnight to me and I, 
I think back and I see his face pale, um, you know, tears in his eyes, someone laying there praying that I would ask, but also praying he had the courage to tell me what was going on. And so I share them through my presentation and people have asked me at the end, you know, do you, you clearly do still feel that guilt and are you like, you know, how do you move forward with that? And I do feel it, but I do know it's not my fault. And uh, whilst I share those experiences, I purely do that because I want others to learn from that and to have those conversations and to, to do the opposite of what I did on those moments where I didn't ask him. And uh, yeah, naturally I'll feel that guilt for the rest of my life, but I, I do know it's not my fault. Uh, people that take their life, that is ultimately their decision. And uh, I portray that to anyone that I speak with. That, yeah, you'll feel the guilt and yeah, you may feel it if you've been touched, but please know that it's not your fault. Uh, one of our our organization's major uh, mottos and it's at the start of my, my presentation it's the first slide of my powerpoint you know mental health is everyone's business uh, and I feel that we all have a role to play and if I can encourage people to just open their eyes a little bit more to it then uh, less people will walk um, feeling that guilt and that sadness that I feel every day. Yeah, it's such an important message because the guilt does stay with with us when we lose somebody to suicide. Um, and it's really easy to beat ourselves up after the event and say we should have known more, but we only know what we know. That's right. And so Ty was 18 and we know that the majority or 50% of people um, who develop a, a mental illness, it will be between the ages of 18 and 25. Yeah. And and the, the signs that you mentioned um, that you saw in Ty um, in the lead up to his death can also be signs of teenage years. And that's why it can be so difficult to pick up on. Is this an issue or is this uh, the normal behavior of a teenager? So you talked about him withdrawing, spending more time in his room, not eating his meals, isolating himself, those kinds of things they are um, often um, disregarded as kind of teenage behaviour, but you're absolutely right, I think, in saying that sometimes these things should be a, an opener for us to say, you know, is there something going on? Is there anything I can help you with? I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I have parents come up to me afterwards and you can see the almost fear in their eyes after hearing my story. And, you know, they've got teenage kids at home and they say to me, oh, you know, they're stuck in their room playing video games and they won't communicate with me. And, you know, I, I say to parents, you know, I don't expect you to go home and, you know, pull a fold-out bed out and sleep next to them for the rest of their lives because you're fearing that they'll take their life. But um, I just think from a young age, parents need to, uh, you know, the onus is on kids to understand that they can speak up. But I think for parents from a young age, engaging in as much conversation and um, normalising the fact that we all feel different and, you know, one in, one in five will experience a mental health issue. I didn't know that when Ty took his life. I didn't have the knowledge on it there wasn't awareness around like there is today to show me that that's the case but um you're right those those experiences that he felt uh, and those ways that he was dealing with his mental health by isolating and staying away um, weren't warning signs for us until after the fact so if people can just be you know maybe if we'd just gone in on that first night he didn't have dinner with us and say hey what's wrong why don't you tell us uh, I know Ty better than anyone and I honestly feel that he probably would have spoken up and told me what was wrong and we could have helped him through it. So uh, we can't, we won't save everyone. You know, I know no doubt there'll be some kids out there that are dealing with those issues and parents will ask and they won't get an answer. And um, in years to come, there'll still be children, sadly, that take their life. But if we ask that question, at least we've tried and at least we've um, given them that option because stigma, I feel, is one of the major players in why young people in particular won't speak up about how they're feeling. I agree. How damaging do you think stigma is in terms of loss of life to suicide? 
Uh, incredibly difficult. Uh, incredibly big. I think, you know, there's, uh, I think 75, there's a big stat around people um, that are dealing with mental health issues. And I think the uh, latest piece of it I looked at that only, you know, two thirds of people that are dealing with mental health issues won't seek help and won't actually speak up and ask about it. And I feel that stigma is the main player in that. Uh, it's a dangerous thing. You know, people feel that their, you know, their partner will leave them. Um, they won't get a spot on the team. Their employer will think they're weak or they're different. Uh, but that's why I really, you know, our school program, sport program, my presentations, we show everyone that one in five, I mean, that one in five, people need to understand and realise that. And when they see that, sit back and think, right, oh, I know more than five people. Yeah. Chances are I'm going to know someone who's experiencing that and going through it. So therefore, there should be no stigma around that to think so many people I know in my life are potentially going to experience that. Let's have open conversations and assure people they're not weird, they're not strange, and my door is open if they're feeling it uh, because just that simple conversation and getting it off your chest is all that that person may need to seeking help, the professional help that they need to get through that difficult time. Yeah, absolutely right. And um, our mental health ebbs and flows. There'll be times when our we'll be at you know optimal mental health and things will be good, but there in, inevitably are going to be times when we're not travelling so well. So, opening up conversations frequently and encouraging um, young people to talk about is so important. When it comes to a, a parent's perspective, I think sometimes we as parents need to understand that sometimes we're not the right person for our kids to talk to for all sorts of reasons. And it's not to suggest that we're, we're not good parents. It's just that there are some um, times in our, in our young people's lives when somebody external to the family that's um, completely neutral could be the, the best person to speak to them. So don't, don't be, um, uh, you know, don't see it as a, as a disadvantage if um, you invite your child, <clears throat> excuse me, invite your child to talk to you about what's going on in their lives. But, and they say they don't want to talk to you about it, encourage them to talk to somebody else because as long as they're having the conversations, that's the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. And, you know, part of our program, we brainstorm and get put the students in groups um, to think about in their life because as a young person, you probably don't actually take the time to sit down. If you're not struggling and not going through a difficult time, you're probably not thinking about who you could communicate with if you are going through that difficult time. So we encourage kids to you know, sit back and actually think, right, my mental health might be at a great level now. Um, and when we do talk about that mental health continuum, how you can slide up and down and feel sad and happy one day and find your place and stick with that and know your limits and your boundaries. But getting them to picture themselves if they're going through a difficult time to actually sit back and think, who is it in my life that I could actually connect with? And, you know, some of the examples that get thrown up are amazing. And, and I'm sure that other students sit in the room and think, yeah, I hadn't think about, you know, my friend Jimmy's mum and dad who I could talk to and I have a great relationship with. And you're right, for a lot of kids, they might be sitting there thinking there's no way I would talk to mum or dad. You know, they have conversations about many things, but their mental health might not be one of them. Um, so encouraging them to know that, you know, it might be a footy coach or, you know, the trainer at the at the netball club, um, the school counsellor, a certain teacher, uh, opening up those avenues of conversation to not just have one person that you would speak with is really, really important. Excellent. And I love the fact that you're talking to this, um, talking about this uh, at stages, maybe when people are feeling fine, because we make our best decisions when we're feeling well, when we're unwell, if our mental health isn't traveling um, too well, it's very, very hard to make decisions um, because we're, we're foggy in our thinking or our minds might be racing or, you know, there could be all sorts of things going on. And we just simply find it very, very difficult to make decisions. So if we've got plans in place prior, I think that's an excellent idea. 
Yeah, that's right. And, you know, these our school program is aimed at kids uh, grade nine and upwards. Uh, so, you know, there's no doubt going to be children and, and students sitting there that have been dealing with, you know, uh, depression, anxiety already. Uh, and so, therefore, we like to think that the skills that we equip them with will make them walk out of the room and realise that, yeah, it's okay to get help and where they can get that help. But I also, yeah, like you said, it's really important to aim it at students that aren't experiencing those those signs and symptoms. And there's a million things that make up your mental health. But for them to actually sit back and walk out of the room and think, right, you know, this is a, a prominent issue. A lot of people, you know, take their life. I don't want to be in that that bracket. So I'm going to start thinking about it. You know, who are my people? Let's do things that will contribute to my self-care so that I don't fall into that that unhealthy, uh, ill mental health that so many people experience. So, yeah, incredibly important that they're looking at it from the perspective of someone who's going through it but also someone who may go through it in the future. We need to be prepared. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of issues um, relating to mental health get raised with you when you do your presentations? What kind of things are people really interested in? Social media is a big one. Uh, mm. I think that social media, I mean, we all speak about it and it's, uh, I don't know what we're going to do as a society about social media, I think, and the book because that contributes to the bullying and I think bullying and social media are kind of hand in hand and they're probably the two that uh, people raise the most as contributing factors to uh, people dealing with ill mental health and falling into that one in five category in particular from a young age. Um we've tried to bring it, I mean, we know that kids play on their phones and, you know, students are on our iPads and play games all the time. And what we've done in our program is we've brought in a little activity that's been, um, uh, it's been really successful so far is we've printed out uh, examples of a young child who's seen uh, an alarming Instagram photo or a Snapchat or a text message they've received and printed it out on a big, uh, a big blowout folder for them. And they get into groups and they, and they have conversations about how they would respond to that. What would they do? to show that person their listing and what mature ways could they or what mature things could they do to assure that person that's clearly putting out alarm bells for people to realise, what could they do for that person to show that they're struggling? Because I don't think there's any point in going into a group of students, you know, age 14 and 15 and saying stay off your phone and put it down an hour before bed because the reality is it's just not going to happen unless, of course, you know, there's parents that Put the, put the phones in the bowl before dinner and leave them there till the next morning. That's amazing and something to bring in as a parent, but there's a lot that don't do that and that's society these days. So I think teaching kids uh, and students how to, you know, the best ways to deal with mental, uh, with issues that are coming through the phones. Um, but I think, yeah, social media is a big one, um, but also bullying as well. And uh, it saddens me to see, you know, I stand in front of a group of 30 kids when we run our our, um, our program and straight away I can see you know which kids uh, kick the footy at lunch who plays netball who sits in the library who's happy to sit by themselves and to me I don't give a stuff about that I don't care what these children do or what these students do but I, I need them to know that difference is okay um, and that contributes to kindness and will ease off on the bullying and I say to these kids and I urge and it's one of the kindness is one of the big things that I urge as part of our organization to just understand that difference is okay and that if someone kicks a footy at lunch and they don't want to read a book or if you do want to read a book and don't want to kick the footy, who gives a stuff? Uh, mm. People do that because they lay their head on the pillow of a night and they get a good night's sleep and they're doing the things in life that contributes to their self-care and gives them positive mental health. Uh, so the more we can do that uh, and you know encourage young kids in particular coming through the ranks that difference is okay and be kind, choose kindness over uh, making someone feel crap about themselves, uh, mental health rates uh, will ease. And suicide rates will drop. I have no doubt about that, that that's a huge contributing factor. 
I love that. So, so kindness to others, but also kindness to ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to treat yourself. You know, it's James who runs our sport program, you know, he um, sets it up as a, a well-oiled car. You know, the outside of a Ferrari looks great. Um, it looks beautiful. Everyone wants to, to be in it, but if the engine of that car isn't running well, then that Ferrari isn't going to run at hundred percent capacity. And that's, I mean, that's, um, that aligns well with our sporting, our sporting clubs and people that play sport, but it also aligns for person every day. You know, you can't get up and go to work if you don't put good fuel in and have good breakfast. You can't get the best out of yourself unless you're looking after your mental health. And uh, I think it's incredibly important. So do I. I think it's what you're describing is um, self-compassion and, and it's um, not something that comes easy to a lot of people to demonstrate self-compassion and understand that it's as important to, to care for ourselves as we do for others. Absolutely. And, and I mean, body image and as a young age, you grow up and these young kids on social media, they see the people parading themselves around with the, you know, the model shots and, um, you know, having a good body and all that sort of stuff. But if we can just put it in to realize, be yourself, you know, be yourself. And I mean, how amazing would a world be where Instagram was filled of the negatives that happen in our life, you know, to show off the fact mm. that, you know, shit stuff happens and that we can, we're happy to put that out there and we're happy to show people that life's not perfect. Uh, we've got a long way to go, but I think the more that we can bring that next generation through to understand that difference is okay, uh, we'll go a long way to contributing and acknowledging and realising that uh, that will contribute to positive mental health. Brilliant. I love it. Um, what about the parents, Mitch? When you meet parents along the way, what, what kind of um, stories are they sharing with you in terms of you know their, their fears around the, the mental health of their young people or their experiences with suicide particularly? Yeah, it's, I mean, down here in Tasmania, I can only speak for, I mean, I've done a few presentations around the country and attended different conferences, but I can only speak for Tassie. I mean, down here, we have the second highest rate of suicide in Australia. We're second to the Northern Territory. So you you won't meet many people down here in Tassie that don't know someone who's been affected or touched by suicide directly or indirectly. And uh, we, before we run sessions with students, we will run a teacher session with the teachers at the school, but we'll also open it up for a parent session as well. So we encourage the parents to come along to, A, learn Mental Health 101 because no doubt there's people in there that, again, like me, were ignorant, didn't realise that how prominent it is and they need to be aware to the signs and symptoms that their kids might show uh, when they come home from school if they're battling. But also we tell the parents what the students are going to be dealing with and what they're going to be experiencing and learning as part of the program because we don't want students to hear about depression, anxiety, what is it, go home and want to have further the conversation with mum or dad and then say, oh, I don't know anything about it, go talk to someone else. We want to continue conversations and open it up at home. We sit behind and we have questions from parents, absolutely, and they come up and, and share with us um, the experiences and things that they're dealing with and what they're going through with their kids. It's certainly a mixed bag, um, but for me, I always go back to that um, social media and video games and kids not getting out of their rooms. And uh, I like to think that Tassie offers a lot of sporting opportunities for children of a young age to get out of their room and be active. But I think, sadly, there's far too many kids that grow up and are you know happy to play the video games and join a sport and feel connected. And uh, that's probably one of the bigger issues I think that parents are dealing with, encouraging their kids to get active and play sport. And they're therefore, I mean, it's not all doom and gloom, though. If a kid plays video games every day, it doesn't mean that they're going to experience mental health. And quite often in video games now, you can plug your headphones in and be interacting with six or seven or eight different friends and talking about things as you play. But 
for me, I'm a big believer in physical health contributes to your mental health. So my advice to parents is at, from a young age is to get your kids out playing sport. It just reaps so many benefits and so many positive rewards for a, a young person growing up uh, and will help them build that resilience and combat your mental health if they face it. So, yeah, social media is a worrying factor for parents and also that video games and isolating themselves in bedrooms from a young age uh, is something that we need to combat. Yeah, no doubt. It is a, it's a, it is a big issue because everything is done from devices these days in terms of, of connecting and actually they're not connecting. It's, it's yeah, a completely different absolutely. skill set. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Young Tasmanian of the Year then? Yeah, it's, uh, I was only writing about that the other day, putting together a piece for a, um, a paper down here and people ask you about awards and um, you know, I was like been lucky enough to uh, to win a few over the years, and and yeah, topped off by yeah, Tasmanian Young Australian of the Year in 2017. And uh, I say it in every speech when winning them, uh, I would give anything to you know have my little brother back. And I obviously never set out to to do this line of work to to win a trophy or a um, you know a cash pack to go towards whatever I want. And and everyone knows that that I would give anything to give that back to have my little brother. But what I say is when I accept an award and it, um, and say thank you to people for awarding me for that, I, I hope that it just shines a light on mental health and speak up, say, chatty here in Tasmania. I, I say to anyone I speak with, I'm happy for you to always remember my face standing here in front of you as someone that um, would give anything to know what I know about mental health now five years ago uh, because, you know, not only do I feel I could have potentially saved my brother, but I've rubbed shoulders with tons of people over the years in my sporting club, uh, in my tradie life, and I didn't give a shit if they had good mental health or not. Uh, I just didn't care about it, and I feel that uh, now as an individual, I walk down to get a coffee. If someone walks past me and they've got their head down, uh, I'll jump in front of them and say, hey, how are you going? Because I don't want to risk that that person doesn't know that there's people out there that care. And um, yeah, winning awards has been great, but, uh, you know, as I say, I'm chuffed by them, but I just pray that they focus and that logo popping up on the screen, our Speak Up Stay Chatty logo, I hope it just gets into another household and gets into another community for people to remember that our logo represents that stigma should not be associated with mental health. It's fantastic. I, I love it. I love it. I love it completely. Mitch, can I ask a question then around if there are if there's somebody listening to our podcast now and they're going through a tough time and suicidal thoughts have been coming and going um or they've made a definite plan in their mind that that suicide is this is the the solution to whatever problem it is that's happening or whatever crisis it is they're going through can you give give our listeners some insight into what it feels like in your heart to lose a loved one to suicide and why it's so important for these people to reach out to the right people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my little brother was a popular young guy and that was evident at his funeral, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people flocking there and the messages of support we got. Um, He was someone that had so much support out there and, and could have spoken to anyone about his issues, knocked on doors, made a phone call, um, but then also the professional service providers that are out there that chat. And anyone that I've met who's lost someone to suicide, there's always been someone, a lot of people out there that have been touched by their suicide, whether it's the local milkman and you saw them and they had a nice smile and you think that person was a nice, kind-hearted person and I'll miss them for the rest of my life and I'll often think about them and wish that I engage in a conversation with them. When we're low, we feel that no one cares. Uh, we've all... I 
hand on heart can't say that I've experienced depression. I've certainly experienced grief at a very high level and I've been low. Um, but what we do know is that when you're going through a difficult time, you isolate yourself so much to a point where you just feel that no one out there gives a stuff about you or if you're going to be around tomorrow. Uh, and believe you me that there are people out there that cares about absolutely everyone out there. Everyone through life has grown up and been connected to a community, a sporting group, a drama class. Your life, throughout your life, you have done something where you have met people, and whether that's just accepting money at the local supermarket, someone knows who you are and someone gets a kick out of you and what you bring to the world. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to, we hosted a screening of uh, Kevin Hines, who's a, a man in America who, attempted suicide by jumping from the Golden Gate Bridge. And uh, he now travels America speaking. He's been on the Today Show recently in America. He's brought out a documentary, a book. Um, he's absolutely breaking down barriers for so many people around suicide and changing lives and no doubt saving people every day. And uh, the one thing about Kevin is uh, it rattles me and I get shivers up my spine when I think about it, that he says, his quote is that, when he jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge, the first thing that he felt and that went through his head was absolute regret and that I do not want to die. He just wanted the pain to go away. Uh, he lived from that and now he absolutely still has suicidal thoughts every day, but he's found ways to combat it. He works out every day. Um, he gets up in the middle of the night and goes for a run when he starts to feel down, feel down and hear those voices in his head. Um, and he promises and pledges that he will not die by suicide. And um, that for me to hear that he said the first thing that went through his mind when he jumped was regret and I actually don't want to die and I'm going to miss my family and I know that there's people out there that care. And So, yeah, if there's someone out there that's listening and they're experiencing it, they're feeling and hearing those suicidal thoughts and they feel that there's no one out there that cares, um, there absolutely is. Um, get out and go for a walk. Engage in conversation with some random person on the street. Ask them how they're going and I think there's more and more people that are open to conversation and hearing what people have to say and people that care out there. And I just think the devastation that it causes for me, you know, this is something that I'll never ever experience anything tougher than losing my little brother. And um, he was my best friend. He was someone who I loved the most. And if only he knew how much I wish that he could cry on my shoulder to bring him back, uh, I would do anything to feel that. So if someone out there is thinking that they're struggling, going through a difficult time and no one cares, Believe you me, there is. Find someone, uh, go and tell them how you're feeling and I assure you they will listen. Um, they will give you the time you need and I pray that they will get you into the professional help that you need to get through that difficult time. Thank you so much for your honesty. That really did come from the heart. I I appreciate that. Um, and, uh, and, and you're not alone in carrying that with you. Um, when we lose someone to suicide, it changes us. Nothing nothing stays the same and actually it, it it travels through generations absolutely yeah the other thought of being you know being bereaved by suicide absolutely and um i think that the stat used to be that uh if someone's lost to suicide it affects 23 people or something and i think that was recently redone and brought out and i think it was up to like 60 or 70 and, mm, uh, i mean i think i think it should be hundreds <laughs> because as i say a local milkman, someone buys a mercury or a newspaper from somewhere every day. There's someone that sees you operating in life and someone will, and people will miss you. You hear of, uh, I think of my old neighbour from 20 years ago that I used to live by who was an old guy. I quite often still think of him. He didn't die by suicide, but he passed. You know, people meet people and um, you have an impact on someone's life. So uh, always have conversations, always open up and just tell someone they will care and they will point you in the right direction to get some support. 
Fantastic. I really, really appreciate your honesty with that. It's a, it's a message that could save a life for sure. Yeah, I hope so, yeah. So, Mitch, a final message for all of the people that listen to our podcast, a final message about Speak Up and Stay Chatty and the work that you do um, and your um, parting message on uh, mental health conversations. Yeah, well, I have a few finishing pointers when I finish my um presentation I, I generally speak for about 45 minutes I give my lived experience the transition from being a tradie into running a not-for-profit now and having staff and the challenges that have come with that and um, my closing comment I always make is that um, for, for individuals and people out there to do their best to find a purpose in their life because um, for me I was a, a glazer I'm a glazer by trade I used to work eight to four I'd jump in my car and I would dread work the next day I I used to lie to my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and tell her that I was going to start my own glazing business and that was the thing that was going to bring us, um, you know, a better wage and a better life. But in the back of my mind, there was no chance I was going to start a glazing business because that's not what my purpose in life was and what I wanted to do. And uh, there's an actor, Steve Bastoni, uh, who played Angel in Police Rescue, who's a, a fellow AUOK ambassador. And I spent time with him last year and uh, I remember in the car for four hours, he told me that, he looked me in the eye and we both got a bit emotional. He said to me, you know, losing your brother was the toughest thing that you'll ever experience. I can see the pain in your eyes, but um, Ty leaving this world allowed you to find your purpose and it allowed you to find a way to make a difference to other people's lives. And, you know, as I say, and I've, I've already said it to you two or three times today that I would give anything to bring my brother back, but, you know, he allowed me to find my purpose. And, you know, I found that I'm good at public speaking. I'm good at engaging with people and I feel that I'm good at, making people open up their eyes to the fact that mental health could be under your roof and if it is, do something about it. I don't expect people to take loss or death or, or suicide for them to find their purpose, but if I think back, I felt that uh, I knew back then that I was good at communicating. I knew back then that I was good at speaking in front of a group and I wish it didn't take my loss of my brother to realise that I could make a difference with that. So, you know, to people out there, whatever you do in life, um, find your qualities because you're unique. Everyone's different. Uh, and whatever your unique quality is, if you have a silly little attribute that you bring to a, a party as a party trick, find a way to let other people learn about that. And by doing that, you'll bring joy to people's lives um, and you may even save lives along the way. And uh, I don't, you know, people tell us that they've, you know, chosen to seek help as opposed to taking their life simply because of the work we're doing. And um, for me, that's really powerful and something that I'll, I'll hang my hat on and I'm really proud of. Um, so I think that if anyone out there can find a way to bring positivity uh, to other people's lives, that's something worth following. So find your purpose, um, find something you love doing and follow it and don't let anyone get in your way to achieve that because I've certainly worked hard to get our organisation where it is today. Um, I'll continue to do that um, and I'm very glad um, that I found my purpose and feel that I can make a difference every single day now and uh, I jump out of bed and go to work. I used to say to my girlfriend every night, I can't be bothered going to work tomorrow, but now I'll set my alarm, I'll spring out of bed, all because I found something I love doing. And so if someone out there is listening, find your purpose, find something that's worth doing uh, and contribute positively to your society because other people will benefit from it. Mitch, you're a fabulous guy with a wonderful story. Um, I'm truly, truly sorry for the loss of your brother. But you have done some amazing things. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Mitch. Thank you so much for your time. It's an honour. Thank you so much for having me. So if people wanted to follow the work that we're doing down here in Tasmania, Speak Up, Stay Chatty is on Facebook and also Instagram at stay underscore chatty. 
And our website is www.staychatty.com.au. And there's certainly uh, a lot of resources you can find on there to get help, how to help a friend, um, but also following what we've been up to in the communities that we're working in. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate your time. Wonderful. Thank you. See ya. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like us to appear in your feed, please hit the subscribe button and you're also welcome to leave us a review. For more information, visit careerdevelopmentcentre.com.au.